Do you own a small firm? Or if you don't own a firm, would you like to start one? Paget gives firm owners all the benefits of owning a small firm, plus the backing, playbook, and confidence that comes with being backed by a large firm. Stay tuned to hear more about Paget later in the episode. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another Federal Tax Updates podcast. It's Roger Harris and Annie Schwab. Hey, Annie. Hey, Roger. How are you doing today? I'm great. I am terrific. Isn't tax season over? So I don't, what are we going to talk about? Anybody, anybody on vacation? Nobody has to work anymore until <laughs> next, maybe close to October? Is everything over that, now? That would be nice. I mean, I, you could, I guess you could say the first deadline has passed, but I'm not sure tax season itself that you can call it over and done. Um, there's always going to be some lingering things, but we have a couple of unique situations that we probably need to talk about today. So the idea that once the pandemic ended and COVID was over, that tax seasons would be easy, that's not true? Back to the norm. Um, I think we are more normal, um, more of a traditional type of tax season, but um, no, it's definitely not over. Not over. <laughs> not over. No. All right. Well, now that you've Busted my bubble and my excitement. <laughs> what are, what are we supposed go, to be doing? Once you come back from a short vacation, there are some some typical things that happen after tax season. For example, extensions. Um, right. You know that you always have those returns that you put on extension that you need to now deal with. Um, and and then this year, I think we had eleven or twelve states that actually got extended. Some May, some June, some July, due to natural <clears throat> natural disaster. Excuse me. Um, so you've got, you know, maybe some states um, or some clients in those states that you also just need to go ahead and prepare or, or even extend those returns if necessary. And then there's always the amended 1099s or amended W-2s or corrected forms from a brokerage house or something like that um, that will come in that will cause you to revisit a tax return, possibly amend a tax return. And lastly, another, I would say another typical thing would be you know, the the matching notices, um, mm-hmm. the adjustment letters, generally fairly easy to respond to, to make the correction. But it is something that you need to address, talk to your clients about, take care of. Um, so taking off after April 18th and returning in early October is probably not ideal. Probably not. Well, and then there's the classic one that's all everybody's favorite when the client walks in <laughs> in May and says, oh, I forgot to give you this. That happens too. That happens. That's everybody's favorite because it's not your fault. It's the client's fault, but the client thinks you should have somehow known I was missing. Yeah. Well. So. And then this year, Roger, there's. (laughs) Yeah, you got to do. You got to do all that. But on top of that, this year we still have the ERC. This tax season, ERC is still around. I know COVID has passed, but the employee retention credit is still something that tax practitioners and taxpayers need to address. And unfortunately, it's going to cause a little bit of a headache. Yeah. I'm sure you're tired cause. of us talking about it at every <laughs> podcast. And, and actually, we're tired of talking about it on every podcast. But it seems like every couple of weeks, something new pops up or new problem, mm-hmm. new information. And there's another issue regarding the ERC that we need to, to talk about. I think what kind of triggered us talking about it today was a couple of things. First of all, 
the TV and radio ads are still everywhere. <laughs> I mean, they're just constant. Phone calls, know. too. I'm Phone getting calls. them. Phone and, calls. And even mailing. I mean, our firm got a thing in the mail saying, here's your payroll. Here's how much you're eligible for. Well, they don't know either of those two numbers, but that's a. you can imagine how it would pique somebody's interest if they got that. But maybe the thing that surprised me, I was on a call last week with the Internal Revenue Service. It's a call we do monthly and kind of get briefed on the what the world looks like from the IRS's perspective. And I think what surprised me is one of the comments that was made was that the IRS is still processing 50,000 ERC claims a month. So No, a week. I mean, a week. A I'm week, sorry. I yes, think. a week. Yes, a week. A week. Yeah, 50,000 a, a week. That is crazy. Um, it has to be the result of all these ERC mills. I mean, I'm guessing. I mean, most of our office owners, you know, prepared the ERC claims in the beginning, but that's still a lot of processing, yeah. a lot of claims outstanding. And that says a couple of things. Obviously, it's still active. It's still going on. There's still an opportunity for you if you have clients that are eligible mm -hmm. to, to mm -hmm. still go through the process with your clients. And I'm going to advise you, I think one of the things that a lot of practitioners thought was if they just don't do ERC claims, they can forget about it. They don't have to worry about it. But now, and we'll talk a little bit more about it going forward, they're faced with a different problem because they didn't do the claim. They're having to deal with the client who went somewhere else to have the claim done. And if they question whether the claim was entitled to be made at all or the amount or whatever, now they're having to deal with it kind of after the fact when they probably would have mm -hmm. been better off to just have done it themselves. Done it themselves. So if you are still out there with small business clients that are eligible, I think it's going to be better for you to go ahead and do it and get paid for it than to wait for some third party to do it. And then they come back to you and you're kind of caught, well, now what? Because I have issues. And because right. of all and that, so Annie and I are going to kind of go back in time and talk about some of the stuff that came out early on, because even if you didn't do them, now you're faced with knowing the rules because you're having to make a judgment as to whether or not they were done properly or not. So we're going to kind of go back and spend some time. That's not all we're going to talk about, but we hope one of these days we can do a podcast and never mention ERC or anything that starts with those letters. But yeah, well, we're not there we'll yet. <laughs> we're not we're not there yet. And and in fact, nearly every podcast that we've done, even from the beginning, our tax season kickoff podcast, um, ERC was a large part of it. And it's because it it even though COVID's over, it impacted this tax season. Clients came to you that maybe could have qualified or do qualify, and they need help with the claims. Um, the money's still there. It's not a limited amount of funds, um, and there's still time to file for it. Or like Roger said, somebody went to a mill, and now they're coming to you to help with the amended returns, and you're trying to decide, can I do this? Is it a legitimate claim? And and if it's not, what are you supposed to do? What do you tell the client? What do you have to tell the IRS about it? I mean, it gets very complex. And, you know, in the two years, the, the rules are related to this um, are complicated. And so I think some of the mills are taking advantage of the complexity and yeah. We'll and the dollars so, are big. We're not talking about yes. a $500 claim here. In many instances, we're talking 50000 500000 So the dollars are huge. And therefore, the risk or liability or whatever you want to call it for it being done improperly are pretty significant. So where do you want to start? Let's let's go back kind of through um, this. Let's, let's, and then we'll eventually yeah. talk about where we are today and some maybe some comments and updates on that. Yeah. So let me, uh, let's start with a couple of the basics. 
Um, so the ERC, the employer retention credit, is the claim is made by filing the payroll tax returns. Right. And then the entity return, the business return, would then need to be corrected because you have to amend the year in which the credit was generated. So even if it took the IRS a while, I mean, we had lots and lots of office owners, where's the money, where's the money, where's the money? So even though, let's say, you didn't get the money until 2021, you have to go back, even if you're a cash basis taxpayer, back to 20 to amend those returns. And that's the entity or the business return. And then obviously, if it's a flow-through entity, then you would need the amended K-1. And so here goes the cycle of chasing down information and, and that kind of stuff. And, and recently, the IRS has been made aware and have, has noted that, you know, when you, if these clients go to a mill, the mill takes some money. They, it's not free. So right. if they generate a credit, let's say, I don't know, $10,000, then they take 20% of that. So the, your client only gets 8000 Well, if they come to you and they realize, well, this claim was not valid, they don't even have the money to pay it all back. They only got 8000 and I'm sure the mills are now hiding. Well, right? yeah, so I know, not- Roger, you were on a call and the IRS is aware of it, but what do you what do you do? I mean, yeah, and if it was just eight to ten, that would be maybe a easy, doable but solution. It, but if you're talking three hundred thousand versus I got two fifty, you can imagine the problem. But let me go back yeah. to something you mentioned earlier because it's a problem that, again, I'm, we may be insulting your intelligence by talking about it, but you made an important point that the law requires these amended returns. Even as a cash basis taxpayer, you can't include those credits in income in the year you receive them. So right. you may have someone coming to you next year who did it that way. They include, put it yeah. in income. And now that too. you're going to be faced with that problem because that's not the proper treatment. You've got to go back to the year the wages were paid that generated the credits mm-hmm. and amend the 941s initially and then amend the individual or business return. So you've got that problem to deal with. Now, that one's pretty straightforward. (laughs) They just handled it improperly. The claim's okay, but they put it in income in the year received instead of amending the return. That one, if if you see that one, it'll probably be a bigger problem next year, I would think, than this year. Mm -hmm. That one's easy. But the problem you just referenced, which is can be serious, is they come to you. You didn't do the ERC. They went to a mill. They were eligible for $300,000. They only got, say, 250 because the mill took 50 of it. And it's clear to you that they shouldn't have gotten anything, much less 250 mm-hmm. or 300. The correct answer was zero. What do you do? What's your responsibilities? Where does your liability stand? Where does your risk stand? So I guess first thing, Annie, the question is, how do you know it's wrong? And mm-hmm. Well, you got to be familiar with the rules. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, there's there's a there's sort of a give, like, you know, if you're a one person shop and clearly you didn't qualify, then those wages didn't come. I mean, there, there's some that are going to be easier than others to determine. Um, and some are going to be, you know, the calculation was done incorrectly. The, the, did the wages qualify? Were these wages? I mean, here's a simple one. You got a PPP loan, right? If you use the same, earmarked the same wages for PPP that you're using to calculate the credit for ERC, well, that's wrong. You can't do that. There's no double right. dipping. That's, you know, that, there you go. That's that answer. But 
if your if your client is falling into one of the grayer areas, you know, supply chain interruption or something like that, or you know, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to dig deep into the numbers and into the records to make sure that it's accurate. And and I think the service is expecting us to dig deep because yeah. and we've said this on an earlier podcast, so we're this is nothing <laughs> new here. The service issued some guidance. It was in March, I think. It wasn't that long uh, ago. Yeah. Um, that said, if you believe the claim is wrong, you should not amend the returns because you are perpetuating a false claim. So how do you know that without digging into the claim in great detail to determine, A, did they qualify under, and we'll cover the rules, we'll remind you of the <laughs> rules in a minute, but did they qualify under the rules? And even if they did, was the calculation done properly? And, and here's another situation where there's, there's going to be, I think, potential mass problems. When we applied for PPP loans, if you remember, we had a certain amount of the money that had to go for wages mm -hmm. to get full forgiveness. And mm -hmm. in many instances, they could get full forgiveness by sticking a number on the wage line that was greater than they needed, but it was just easier. You know, yeah. I could put $60,000 of wages and $40,000 of utilities and get it, but it's easier just to put 100000 on wages. Well, now you're trying to do the PPP, I mean, excuse me, you're trying to do the ERC and you realize you can't use the wages for both. So you go, well, I only needed 60, so I'm going to use 60. Well, that's not right because you put 100 on the application, you're stuck with the 100. I don't know how many people knew that. So it may not be that the claim is completely erroneous, but there's $40,000 of wages that the ERC mill said were qualifying wages that are not. So there's going to be and all kinds amend. of potential issues. Yeah. But how do you know that and, without and redoing it? Exactly. You're going to have to dig deep into the, the documents and, and redo it. And there's no way to amend a PPP. So if you if, if the 60-40 split would have been just fine, but you put the 100 in wages, it's not like you can go change that and then pull nope. the other stuff to ERC. You're kind of stuck. You're stuck. Whatever happened with it. Yeah. Whatever stuck you put on that line, except that... And correct me if I'm wrong, Annie. If I needed a hundred, my PPP loan was a hundred, so I put a mm -hmm. hundred and fifty on that line. Oh, I could still take the fifty because I didn't need it, but I'm stuck with the hundred. You're stuck with the hundred. You can still take the fifty, and if you, you know, when it gets down to the nitty gritty, and you're listing all the employees and their wages, you can even handpick which right. ones can go to ERC because not everybody's wages qualify for ERC. So some some could be in both buckets and some just in ERC. So you'd want to scoot the ones to ERC and save the other ones for the PPP. But again, this is all after the fact. So yeah, um, you're stuck you know. with the numbers, but you do have some because remember, you never told them on the PPP loan whose wages you were using. You just put a number right. there. Employee A, B or C or whoever. So you right. have some flexibility, but you are stuck by certain things. But you do have flexibility. So we can offer a real service to our clients. But mm -hmm. it really was better if we did the spent all that time doing the claim and getting paid for it than yep. just doing a calculation or a review to determine whether or not they can file the stupid return for. Because mm -hmm. you may do all this work and have to go to the client and say, you know what, I can't help you with your amended returns. So you don't even get paid for that. So yep. that's, that's maybe one bit of beginning. advice, you know, that I would, would offer to people. 
if someone comes to you with a PPP loan, I mean, not excuse mm-hmm. me, an ERC credits claim, and you didn't prepare the ERC claim, and you can't tell immediately whether they're eligible or not, then I think you need to charge for the research and the time you're going to spend just to determine whether or not you can prepare the return, because you may not get the opportunity to bill them for the return, depending on what your research on the claim actually says. So, Well, and it's a bad place for the tax preparer, because if, if you think it's wrong or have a reason to believe, so then you say, okay, I'm sorry, we either have to send all the money back or I can't do it. Well, they'll just maybe go to the next one down the street. The next down tax, the street. You know, so then you lose a cloud. They walk in there. They say the same thing. Well, eventually they're going to find somebody that's just going to do it. So it's it's really put the tax practitioners at a disadvantage, and it's confusing to the clients, to the taxpayers. You know, they hear all this stuff on TV and the radio, and they get the phone call, and their friend down the street did it, and, you know, it's all over the place. And unfortunately, it, they're being misled and and having to deal with the consequences, and so are the tax practitioners. Yeah, and we've seen in our company, and this is is human nature. I'm not shocked by Mm -hmm. it, where a client came to one of our offices and said, hey, I hear about this great ERC thing. And they said, you're not eligible. And they go, why? And said, well, you're just not. You didn't meet one of the criteria. Well, all of a sudden, they get approached by one of these mills who then says, oh, yeah, you're eligible, and gives them some crazy reason. And uh, then they come back to you and say, well, you were wrong. I'm eligible. I got $300,000 because Joe, the attorney, works for this mill and said I was eligible. So, A, you're having to defend the guidance that you gave them and the advice you gave them earlier. Mm -hmm. Now you're potentially trapped in a position of having to take a loyal client of yours and tell them you can't help them complete Mm -hmm. their their required uh, actions with law of amending returns and giving that money back. And that's because, and we, we probably should remind people, we're, we're doing a lot of reminding here. We're not talking about a lot of new yeah, stuff. Yeah. We're kind of going back and reminding of things. But let's remind people what the IRS said, Annie, sometime in March of this year when they were asked by practitioners, what do we do if we believe the ERC claim to be false and a client comes to us to amend the return? What did the IRS I- tell us? I have the exact wording, and it says, if the practitioner cannot reasonably conclude that the client is or was eligible to claim the ERC, the practitioner should not prepare the original or amended return that claims or those claims or anything that perpetuates the potential improper credit. So, I mean, it's basically saying you can't do the work. We can't help you. Now, um. The reason we care about that is there are mm-hmm. preparer penalties. So of course. We and it's are, big money. The people that were asking for this guidance were concerned, maybe rightly so, that they could be subject to penalties for amending the returns. Now, what makes this a little different in my mind? Now, the guidance is the guidance. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of just on my soapbox here preaching more than doing anything, the, the, the amending of the returns would be giving the government back some of the money that the taxpayer was erroneously paid. So, for example, if I got a $300,000 ERC claim and my client is in a 20% tax bracket, 
theoretically, I would give back 20% of $300,000 or $60,000 and take the harm to the government from three hundred dollars to two forty dollars because I've already given them back some of the money, which I think is probably a good result for the government because at least they're getting 60 of it back without doing anything. Well, you brought it to them. Yeah. <laughs> right. They, if they wouldn't have found it, you're, you're at least giving them back I'm at least giving you money. 60. But now the guidance yeah. says the government's position is, no, don't give us the 60. We want them to owe the 300. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. That seems a little odd to me because now how are you going to get any of it? Because you wouldn't take what I was right. going to give you. So- to me, I'm, I question whether the guidance was well thought out. It was probably jumped on in a hurry and quickly uh, to just to get an answer out because I, it's hard for me to imagine I'm going to get penalized for giving the government $60,000 of money that they otherwise would not get. But Well, Roger, they could be leaning on all, you know, that $80 billion is some of it's for <laughs> enforcement. But, I mean, can they get all the erroneous ERC claims? I mean, I know it's they've, they've come out and said that they're going to target these because of the large degree of fraud associated. But they, I mean, I, I don't see how the IRS is going to have the resources to catch everybody. So, so in going through that, yes, no, they're not. They, they, they've never had the resources. And, and audits are never intended to catch 100% of the people. It's to catch right. the people who are, are probably grossly uh, abusing the law and create an incentive for others not to. but yeah, to comply. And, and he, here's the problem that we're in, in addition to just not being able to amend the return. If you think about it from a tax practitioner standpoint, usually when someone comes to us with a, another problem, that's very numbers aren't as big, but they come to us and they did something wrong. You know, first of all, we're not barred from amending the return. And secondly, usually what amending the return means is let's give the money back. And the taxpayer had received all the money, so giving all the money back didn't seem like such a big hurdle. Right. So we would say, all right, you got an extra $1,000 you shouldn't have gotten. I'm going to amend the return, have you give the $1,000 back. They go, okay, I'm not happy, but I'll do it. But now think about what's probably the situation, again, using my same numbers. I was eligible for a $300,000 ERC credit, but the mill took 20%. So I got 240000 But until and unless we get some guidance or something from the IRS, our job is to convince that taxpayer, even though they only put a two hundred forty in their checking account, to give back 300000 to <laughs> fix the problem. Now you're negotiating. Yeah, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah, I got this money. And, they, and even if they agree, even if the client agrees, they may not even have it. But they didn't get it. You know? So if they were... Because they didn't get it. So, I mean, who's, you know, these are so, big numbers. I And and that's true. And this, these credits are big numbers. That's a big problem is that they are big yeah, numbers. So it's a lot of money. What do I mean? So, again, this is where I think the guidance was maybe a little off-putting because they keep thinking like most situations, well, just tell the client to fix it. Just mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. amend the return. Go fix the problem. Amend the payroll tax returns and give the money back. Right. Well, that's okay if I got the money, but I didn't get 20% of the money. I'm not giving you that money back. I'll take my chances. And I'm afraid that's where we might be finding ourselves for a lot of the people who went to these mills or the mills came to them and convinced them improperly that they were eligible for something they weren't. 
Hi, I'm Jeff Phillips, CEO of Pageant. We've been helping firm owners grow the right way for over 50 years by providing marketing, technology, and of course, tax support. It's like hiring another 20 people who help you run your firm, but for a tiny fraction of the cost. And if you like this podcast, remember that these are two of the national team leaders at Pageant that exist to support Pageant firm owners. So to learn more, visit pagetadvisors.com slash podcast or pagetadvisors.com slash podcast now, let's get back to my colleagues, Roger and Annie, for the federal tax updates. So, question, Roger. There's, there, the IRS came out recently and said to use a form, and it's Form 14242, to disclose the mills. I mean, right. okay, so if, if you know, you've got your spread there of 60000 and you can't send it all back, but you fill out the form, you say, well, this is who I use. I mean... Do you think the IRS is going to go find these people and get the money from them if they're still? I mean, they probably changed names three times since then, and or shut down or moved locations, and who knows what. But I mean, do they? Ha- do you think that's what the goal of the form is? Well, I, I think the goal of the form, and it's it's not a form created for the ERC. It was there before for any kind of tax oh, shelter yeah. or anything like that. It's obviously to point out where there's someone abusing the system. So in theory. Yeah, I think they would like to go and shut these people down and confiscate, if they could, any of their money. The problem is, is if they don't do this soon, by the time they get around to it, these folks have vanished. I mean, they were, you've never heard of these companies before the ERC. You'll (laughs) never hear of them after the ERC. So is it possible? Yeah. Is it likely? Probably not. But See, that's um, what I'm thinking, Tim. You know, I don't. I, I don't know. Now, I will say one thing: um, the IRS. I mean, they're smart people. They're not crazy. They understand this problem. Again, on that same call where I heard fifty thousand a week in new claims, uh, we discussed this problem. I only got two forty. You want three hundred? You want me to voluntarily come back and give you this money when I didn't get it all? And what about penalties and interest? I don't have any answers for you other than to say that the IRS is very aware of the situation that the small business owner was put in by the mills. Mm-hmm. And according to them, they're going to have a meeting, I think they said in Austin, Texas. Why Austin? I don't know. And they're looking for ways to either create, you could call it an amnesty period, a voluntary disclosure, right. a safe heart, whatever. They Something. recognize the problem, but we have no idea what the solution, if any, will be to this problem. They are aware of it. so. You know, first of all, it might be worth just waiting a little while and seeing, particularly if there's a process we have to follow or something we have to Mm -hmm. do to qualify for it, you know, before we jump up and do it. But again, if the danger in that, and this is where practitioners are caught in a rock and a hard place, the longer we wait, if they decide, nah, tough, just give the money back, then more penalties and interest is recruited while we're waiting. Yeah, I know. So. There's really no easy choice here. No, it's a good case study of where if you go back to Congress, remember, we're in a pandemic. Everybody's in a mm-hmm. panic. We all ignored ERC initially because we all wanted PPP loans because that PPP. was the fastest way to get money. Yep, yep. And the original bill said if you get a PPP loan, you can't take the ERC. We forgot about it. Right. And then what happened? They, they said you the could. Law. They changed they the, law. the law. You could get it. Oh, they changed the law so many times. Yeah. We're, we're going to go over some of this, but like the the calculations are even different depending on what 
quarter or year mm-hmm. even the, right. the wages were earned. So, I mean, it, it was hard to keep track of it all. We were having weekly podcasts. I mean, sorry, weekly webinars Webinar. with our franchisees yeah. just to tell them what happened in the last 48 hours because it was changing that fast. And so, sometimes we'd say, yeah. what we told you yesterday, eh, forget that. It's different today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Really, it, re- it really was. It was like, this is only accurate as of the moment I'm speaking because when I wake up tomorrow, it could be totally different. Um, and and, that's, and we, that's, we're not being critical. I mean, we were in the middle. Think yeah. about how we all felt when the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all thought we were, our health was at risk. Our business was at risk. We were just hanging on as best we could. And so I don't fault the rush and the things like that. Yeah. But there were some opportunities, I think, later on when things got a little more calmed down that things could have been done differently, but they weren't. So I don't know why we're talking about it (laughs) because they are what they are. But, yeah, you know. All right, let me go through some of the basics. Yeah, let's go so back. That when because... you're talking to your client or you're looking at this stuff, you can at least have a, a, a basic understanding of what to talk to the client about or maybe some red flags that should go off. Um, Trigger you. So, yeah. yeah. But before you do, yeah. let me say one thing, because if you know okay. the claim is right, you don't have a problem. You just amend the returns and be done with oh, it. Oh, yeah, and if you did it, even better. Even better. So what Annie's going to talk about is when you're trying to make this judgment about whether that claim is a valid claim or not, let's go back and see how they could have been eligible and how they could have done. Because again, if you're confident in the claim, if you did it or a friend of yours in the profession did it and you know it's accurate, you really could have slept through this podcast so far because (laughs) none of this applies. All you have to do is amend the returns as required by law. And you've done that a thousand times and you get paid for it and life is good. But let's go back to the beginning because it seems like it was yesterday, but it's been a couple of years. So how do they know, Annie, if the claim is false? All right. So here, here are the rules. You've got the period of eligibility. So that's basically when the wages were paid, which wages would be qualified to use to calculate the credit. And in right. 2020, it was March 13th, which was the start of the pandemic, through the end of that year. And then in 2021, it was January through October. So you basically have like, you know, March one whole year through October, but the calculation is different between the two years. So in 2020, it was fifth, the credit is 50% of the qualified wages. And then in 2021, they bumped it to 70%. To make it even more complicated, in 2020, <laughs> it was a credit was done as an, at an annual cap, which was 5,000 per employee credit cap of 5,000 per employee. 2021, it was done on quarterly and the cap is 7,000 per quarter. So you've got all these, you know, different calculations. We already mentioned you can't double dip on on the wages. So you can't, you know, use them for PPP and for ERC. So that's sort of, you know, the basics of of how that goes. And that's where and the then, ads, when you see 26,000 employee, mm-hmm. they're yeah, maxing they get out the from. three quarters of 2021 and the one and the annual max for 2020. And oh, by the way, 2021 originally was for the entire year, and then they repealed that and only made it for the first oh, yeah. three quarters. I think they repealed it in late October and moved it back to October 1st. So yeah. it was like totally retroactive. And again, what a mess. Um, <laughs> so there's ways that an employee, employer, excuse me, can qualify. And the one that you hear most about is the gross receipts test, right? right. 
Um, basically, they're comparing a certain period of time during the pandemic to a previous period of time. And if your gross receipts declined by a, per- a certain percentage, then those um, wages for that period would qualify. So that's like, in a nutshell, kind of how it worked. And that's of black course, and white. It's, like, it's just a math comparison. It, yeah, that's 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 all you got to have. You got to meet the threshold. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And in 2020, the average number of employees had to be 100 or fewer. In 2021, it was 500 and fl- fewer. Right. And the average number of employees had all these different scenarios. Well, what if you were part-time and how do you count your employees? And what if they were seasonal? And what if they were this? So, you know, I mean, the complicated parts come in here. But in theory, you got this gross receipts test. If your gross receipts compared to a previous period fell, declined by a certain amount, you qualify. Then they had this, what was called the, uh, like a government order. So that was one, the first one was gross receipts. The second way to qualify was a government order. And that one was highly focused on facts and circumstances. And you had to have more than a nominal portion of the business operations were suspended by a government order. And then you had the partial suspension and, you know, the full suspension and kind of all this kind of idea and you know, then they said nominal portion, and then we waited and waited, and they finally told us what that really means. Right. So, which is 10% sort of. <laughs> of, sort of, the yeah. used, uh, te- you know, not less than 10%. So that's another, again, once you know you qualify a basic math type calculation, identifying the wages, dropping them in the quarters, applying the percentage, da 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 Well, this third one has really caused, I think, the mills to become more aggressive um, the marketing to go up, and that's called what what we call as the supply chain interruption. And this one's kind of tricky. You gotta gotta think about exactly how. And I'm gonna read it so that I don't confuse anybody. But listen to each word closely. An employer may be considered to have a full or partial suspension of operations if the business suppliers, not them, but their suppliers, are unable to make deliveries of critical goods or materials due to a government order that causes that supplier to suspend its operations. So you have all these terms in there. You know, first it's a supplier, critical good, you know, due to a suspension of operations. And then they go even further to say, if the facts and circumstance indicate that the essential business operations. So there's another term with a definition that we don't exactly have. Right. Um, so th- this is where the, I think, where the abuse is is lying. Did I miss anything? Did I? No, I, I think I think it's the supply chain that brought the mm-hmm. mills to the forefront because it was more of a gray area. Yeah. But once they got going, they started. But the only one they couldn't play with was the reduction in sales because that's just facts and stuff. I mean, that's just compa- comparing numbers. Compare this number to that number, and was it big enough? Yeah. But even in the government orders, we're seeing people use the scenarios that a government order could have created, but not requiring there to be a government order. And we'll give some examples. Oh, I see. In a minute I see. Where, okay. Uh, that. But I, I think so. Let me kind of jump ahead, jump ahead for a minute and summarize. When they come to you, the first, first thing to do is see if you can get by the calculation of the gross wages, because that's black and white. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they don't qualify for that. Now the next question is: Do you did you have a government order that changed the uh, ability for you to conduct your business? 
yes or no. That's and that can be a local, can be state, can be federal. Doesn't have to just be federal. And the websites have that. That you can yeah. go to a state or a local website and they will list the dates of of these partial or full suspensions. So I mean that takes a bit of research, but it's available. The information And it'll available. tell you then what period the wages have to be paid in, because it has to be during right. that, that time that the government right. is giving you this order. So you kind of go there because if there's no government order, that one's out. That's out. Then you move to this more little crazy one, which is the supply chain. And one of the key elements that that wording doesn't necessarily say the service has said in FAQs or something, I can't remember where they said, the critical supply means you couldn't get it anywhere else. Okay. So the fact that your supplier was shut down, let's say, let's say you sell, you have a soda fountain in your business and you sell soft drinks and you've been buying 32 ounce cups from the same supplier for 50 years. And all of a sudden where they are, the government shuts them down and they can't supply you cups. But a guy across the town from you has the same 32-ounce cups, and they can get them to you. You're not eligible. Even if you have to pay more, you're not eligible. You're not eligible. If it's available. You, you can still get the cups. <laughs> you know, right. The, the credit is if you couldn't get the cups at all. And there's even, right. and Annie's so, laughing when I said the cups, because I there's know, actually I, a story where somebody said I couldn't get 32-ounce cups but I could get 16-ounce cups, and I sold enough 16-ounce cups to recover for the losses of the 32, but I'm still eligible because I sell 32. I don't, you know. The answer to that is yeah, I don't yeah, no. but Another thing is, like, let's say you stopped seeing clients at your office and you started right. doing Zoom calls. Well, just because you chose, you know, maybe for health reasons or, or whatever, you chose not to meet your clients at the office— but there was no government order. Well, that doesn't count either. That was right. a choice. You weren't, it wasn't mandated that you could not have your office doors open. So there's also that, like the idea. And that's a you know, example of what a lot of the mills have convinced, yep. particularly when we mentioned insurance agents. That's mm -hmm. what they're saying is they're saying because you had to stop meeting customers in your place of business, you were more than nominally impacted. But they keep conveniently forgetting that government mandate part. Right. That's, tr that's correct if you stop because of a mandate. But if you just chose, like there's people, and, and I'm not being critical, but there's people who still wear masks. But that's their choice. Yeah. You don't get a tax credit because you chose to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. You don't get a tax credit because you chose not to meet people in your office because nobody told you you couldn't. So I know. I know. So it's a lot. And, and so the purpose of this podcast is to just remind you of the basics Right. Remind you that one, it's still available. Two, that you know you might be faced with having to turn down work should you know a mill have done a claim and now it's on your plate and you don't think it's right. So now the IRS is saying you can't do the return and the whole discussion with the spread of getting this and paying the mill and how to return it and should there be penalties and interest and so I mean it's complicated. That's that's why tax season's not over. Right, and we're in for a while. And, and I'm going to make one last comment and. Don't hold it against Annie. Don't hold it against Paget. It's me. But your standard here when making this decision of whether or not you believe the client was properly or improperly entitled to the credit, which then leads to whether you can do the amended return, is the, the basic due diligence requirement. So it's not, which they always define in percentages where there's nowhere to go to determine what the percentage really is. But 
Due diligence is basically you could win the argument one out of three times. More likely than not is obviously more than 50% of the time. So we're at our lowest level of um, Mm -hmm. proof, I guess. So I don't think you need to go into the arrangement nervous about not amending returns because you have this tremendous burden to overcome. You've got to satisfy yourself that you can do it. And, And again, I come back to this. Remember the result of what you do when you amend the return is to give the government more money than they currently would have gotten. And I told somebody the other day, if you want to penalize me for giving the government money back that they shouldn't have given out in the first place, I'll be on CNN the next day complaining. And I'll have every Republican in Congress on my side because it it makes no sense, but that's the rule. So I I think we should go into this not so afraid that we never want to amend a return. So remember, it's a one in three standard. So just... Just be smart because I, I know what the guidance says, and this is why it's my advice. If you get mad, call me. Don't call Annie. Don't call anybody else. But ultimately, I find it hard to believe that they're going to penalize me for giving the money back to the government if I have a logical reason. Now, if it's black and white, don't amend the return. But yeah, I think our inclination maybe should be to, because I don't know what other the facts may be in place, unless I'm going to go back and basically redo the ERC claim. I know. I can rely on a third party unless there's something I know or should have known. So again, take the obvious, but I would still think the client's better off and we're all better off if we give back some of the money, because ultimately, if they have to give it all back, at least they're part of the way there. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah. 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 But And they're trying to comply and, you know, all of that. But the guidance is clear. The guidance says, and maybe that's why the IRS is having a hard time coming up with the guidance on what to do in that 240, you only got 240 out of 300 because some people have amended the return and given some backs, you know, through amended returns. Some, some others yeah. haven't. So it's not well, a if they're processing 50,000 yeah. a so week. So it's another they... issue. So, all right. Have we beat this up enough? Yes. Yes. Let's let's move on from ERC. Yeah. Let's, let's see if we podcast. can talk about something else and not talk about the ERC for a while. All right. So let's talk about the Tax Cuts and Job Act. Um, why? So this isn't that, was in that law. Why? That's the law, isn't it? <laughs> no, it. I mean, it was in 2017, 18, 19, 20. But guess what happens at the end of 2025? What reverts back to where we were in 2017. <laughs> so um, all those so courses that, I went to in 2017 to learn this stuff, I have to forget in the next few years. Well, I mean, something could happen. They, I mean. Law could change. Things could be retro, you know, change retroactively. But as the law stands right now, there are 23 provisions directly related to individual income tax that are set to expire at the end of 2025. Now, 2025 seems pretty far off, but if you think about it, there's a lot going on in 2024 with the elections, like an election, and yeah. Like an, like a big election, yeah. Um, which would definitely impact whether or not some of the provisions, some or all or none, who knows, of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act would be extended or, or made permanent into law. Or, I mean, who anything can happen. But the point is, with twenty three provisions, and I'll give you some as an example in just a minute that are set to expire. There's definitely an opportunity there for tax planning, and it should be on the radar. For yeah, because there may be some things you might want to do now before the run. Now, we know politics plays nothing to do with <laughs> this, but 
If you don't know what the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is, it's probably because all you have heard it called for the last few years are the Trump tax cuts. So that tells you something about, depending on how the election goes, which of these 23 items are most likely to stay or go. And if you started preparing taxes after 2017, this is the only law you've known. But it wasn't always well, the law, and it may not always be the law. So no, and if they, you know, if they expire, the the lower rates climb back up. up. We come back to the personal exemption, and the standard deduction goes down. Remember, we used to have a personal exemption and a standard deduction. Right. That QBI qualified business income gone. Gone. That's on the table. Um, we've heard and talked actually a lot about that ten thousand dollar state and local cap. Right. Well, that goes away. So if you itemize, that could be beneficial. We've got the business loss deduction. That limitation reverts back. Miscellaneous itemized deductions come back on the return. Those had been cut off. AMT like reverts expenses back. expenses and employee business yeah. expenses were common ones. Yeah, all that, yeah. Come, that was on Schedule A. We have had a lot of favorable depreciation, you know, the rates, the uh, bonus depreciation, those kinds of things. We, we've all dealt with the child tax credit that was over the last time. So, I mean, these are just examples of some of the provisions that are in there that, you know, will impact if they don't be, if they don't get addressed. So I don't know. Well, and politicians are smart. They pass them and they make the yeah. repeal date after a presidential election. So yeah, the um, timing of this is quite perfect. Yeah, it's quite ironic. So I think the first thing mm-hmm. is, you know, we should pay attention to what the candidates are saying because this again, if they do nothing, it just goes away. It's back, right? It just goes back to the pre TCJA rules. If they want to do something, it's going to take Congress and the White House to to do it. They can keep some, they can throw them all out, they can change mm-hmm. them, they can do whatever they want to. So this is going to be a big election for tax policy. So it's going to have a big yep. impact on how much more we have to learn or where do we start, where do we go. So we should start by saying pay attention to this election, I don't know how you can avoid it, but maybe pay <laughs> yeah. more attention to the discussions about this tag. I think it's pretty predictable where they're going to fall from a party standpoint, yeah. but anyhow. But then look for things over the next couple of years that maybe clients doing something is better than waiting because the new law could hurt them. Again, let's just take rates as something. If right, they right. do nothing, rates are going up. So you would want to get your income in the years with the lower rates and not let it fall after this potentially expires into the upper rates. There's, there, it's, and it's never too early to, but I, I think the main thing, Annie, I wouldn't say, and then I'll, let, I'll shut up and let you talk, is we, we tend to think that the tax law we're working in has always been this law and it's always going to be this law, but so much of what we're dealing with today is got an expiration date on it. Mm-hmm. It's at a, a- and the time flies. I mean, I, like I said, I mean, 20, the end of 2025, I mean, you're probably sitting there thinking, oh, I got a lot of time. They'll give me answers. And, and it just, it goes so fast. And if you don't act before we get there, it's almost too late to implement the opportunity. Yeah. Um, At least let your so clients you get, know that this is a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wouldn't hazard a guess, A, how the election's going to turn out, or B, Based, even if you could tell me how it's going to turn out, I couldn't predict what's going to happen to this bill. So yeah. we're, we're not going to really know until it's over. So 
what would you do given the uncertainty? Start thinking about it. Start targeting clients where it might be important for them. Because sometimes things take a while to execute. And yeah. you may want to start And you don't have now. to have the answer. Like, you don't have to tell them what their answer should be, but you can educate them on the what ifs and let them, I mean, they make the decision on their own. Yeah, it's ultimately their money, so it's their decision. Yeah. Well, tax season has come to an end in some sense, I suppose. But if you, I just wanted to mention, I don't know, give a hand of applause, a little kudos, a little thumbs up. There's there's talk that this is in an amazing tax season compared to the past few years. Um, There's been progress. There's processing logs are behind us. Answering wait times are down. Customer service rapport is up. We're starting to see some of the implementation with the tech improvements. So, I mean, I know, like you said, 50,000 a week in in, um, ERC claims. I mean, they're trying. They're trying. Um, And hopefully we'll see more progress with how the money is spent. Um, I will give you a heads up, though. There's um, May May 17th. Okay, I found my date. May, as of May 17th, the IRS will no longer support e-service usernames. You have to go through their IDME account to sign in. And you'll get prompted, and then they'll ask you to, like, set it up and set a password and blah, blah, blah. But just a heads up, if you're, you know, accustomed to just logging in through e-services, you're going to need to go through that IDME process. Yeah, and if you haven't been I through think that, mentioned- it can take a little. I mean, it's not that some, but yeah, you just don't want to need something on May the eighteenth, and you haven't set up your ID mm-hmm. me account, and you try to so log just, in, and you're just you don't exist anymore on eighteenth. <laughs> from their perspective, put a reminder on your calendar to to do to make the and the if you don't know, over, so just go say. log into your account, and you'll know. Yep, it'll prompt you. It'll yeah. tell you. Um, and you just walk through the steps. And you're, Roger, you're right. It doesn't take that long, but it's something that you want to do before the 17th so that you're not caught off guard for sure. Now, one thing that, and I think it's still true, I set mine up a while back. If you don't have a cell phone in your name, you might have a problem because mm-hmm. they got to text you a code or some stupid thing like that. And yeah. they got to make sure it's the your phone. Now, they may have changed that recently, but it's just different. No. And, and they ask it, you those questions like... Yeah. What kind of car loan did you have when you were 15? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yes. But so just, so just it's sometimes you got to go. Go check it. It's what we got two weeks from today, basically. So if you're listening to this before the 17th, just go try to log into your e-services account mm-hmm. and determine if you've gotten it set up properly. Because if you wait till after that and you need it in a hurry, you may get delayed. Have to wait. Well, the IRS had a good tax season. How do you think all these tax practitioners had? You know, it seems to be different on, depending on who you talk to. Yeah. I think there was an article in Accounting Today the other day that seemed to indicate it. that the majority of people thought it was better. I mean, service was mm-hmm. definitely better now. Oh, yeah. Th- there's no question about that. But it depends on who you talk to. And mm-hmm. I think the way I'm going to answer that, because this is going to be, I think, the topic on our next podcast is I think so too. whether this was a good tax season or a bad tax season. Our industry is going through some challenges in that we have fewer people entering it, fewer people coming Mm -hmm. out of colleges and universities, even if they finish their accounting degree, taking the CPA exam. We're all having trouble hiring people. We're we're seeing too many firms that are working 
long, long hours that are impacting their family, their health, their ability to hire people because today's generation doesn't want to come into a business that says, what do you mean I got to work 80 hours a week? What do you mean I got to work seven days a week? What do you mean I got to come into a brick and mortar building? So I think what we're going to have to do as an industry is change, which is never a word that people in our profession like. But change is hard. uh, So I think a lot of this tax season, depending on how you came into it, what your mindset was, what your business structure was, how did you operate, what what had you done? And we're going to talk about that on our next podcast. At least that's the plan for right now, because I think it's going to come incumbent on us if we want to compete for good employees and Mm -hmm. ultimately sell our business to someone who's younger than us and growing up in today's world and maintain our health and our family life, we're going to have to change a lot of the way we've always done things. And I think we'll separate ourselves over time into two groups, those that did and those that didn't. And (laughs) I think that's why this is, that's a long story. It's a plug for our next podcast. It's a long answer (laughs) to your question, but I think that's why you get diverse answers to the question of how did tax season go? Yeah. Some say it went great. It's the best one I've had in years. And some say it's the worst I've ever had. And well, yet, the thing is, we all deal with the same IRS. Yeah. Yeah. And all the, I mean, you have good clients and bad clients. Everybody's got that. Um, you've got the ones who take forever to, to get you the information. You've got the ones who never pay you on time, all of that kind of stuff. But I do, I think you're right, Roger. If, if your goal of tax season was to not work on the weekends, and you manage to do that, then you're going to say tax season was great. If your goal was to churn out 850 tax returns and you did that, you might say it's great, but you might have worked 80 hours a week too. So right. it's it's kind of, you know, what is it that you wanted out of tax season and did you get what you wanted? And if you didn't, we said this uh, on our last podcast, this is the time to do an after action report for your mm-hmm. tax season identify the bottlenecks or the things preventing you from having the quality of life or the work-life balance that you were, that you want. And then knowing it, you have to make the change. Just knowing it and not doing anything about it, it's just going to repeat itself. So, you know, I think the first thing is to, to set what, it, what do you want? What do, what do you want for your business, for your family, for, you know, if, is it all about making money? Is it about not working weekends? Is it about taking off for vacations and and having peace of mind that the business is running smoothly? Is it to prepare your business for sales so that you can get top dollar? I mean, all of these things um, impact what you want and then how to get there. Right. And and I'll give, and probably giving away the whole podcast, but I (laughs) promise we'll have more. But the, the one thing I would suggest, this is a good time to also sit down with your family and ask them what they want out of future tax seasons from you. I think you'll hear things like, I want you home. I want you less stressed. I want you not to miss our children's activities. Their, their goal for what they want out of you in businesses may not be what you think it is. Now, they're not going to hound you and they're not going to bug you, but go have a discussion with your spouse. I, I promise you that they probably want what's best for you. And... They might give you some good ideas because we have the we have a unique opportunity to be very successful in this business, but it shouldn't come at the expense of our family or our health. And again, 
The next podcast, we'll get into a little more detail. We just came back from a company retreat in Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, yeah. where I'm the ready whole, to go back. Yeah, yeah to right Scottsdale here. for right sure. Here. Before the summer gets, because it was warm, but it was nice. But, it, you know, we started talking about how this is just something that we have to do and brought in some outside people to talk about ways to do it. And, you know, what I found interesting is nobody objected to it. It's like, well, how do I do it? Uh, just give me the give just me the give tools. me just tell me, me what the, to do because I don't know that anybody I, there's somebody out there that likes working eighty hours a week. I'm not one of them, uh, but I'm sure there are some. But I think there's ways to build a successful business with a healthy family relationship and good health. It's a, mm -hmm. you don't have to make a choice. And if you want to hear more about that, join us on join our us the next podcast whenever that is because. We are going to spend a good because I did. I do think it's critical to our industry. Mm -hmm. I think all of us are. I think the profession to, is changing. We have we have to make changes. And we should bring your husband on because he can talk about it. <laughs> he's kind of like the canary oh, yeah. in the coal mine because he sees it. He's a accounting professor, so yeah. he can talk about the attitudes of the students, the students that are coming, the number that are coming versus aren't coming, the ones that are you know want to go work in in the industry, and the ones that are using for background because it starts there and and. You see AICPA talking about changing the 150-hour rule because— And and the time for taking the CPA exam. Yeah. That's also like how, how long—I think we had to do it in 18 months, and now they're talking about doing it in 24 months, giving people more time. I don't know about you, but I had to take it all at the same—all at one time. Yeah. All no, four I parts. Mean, in person. So, yeah. It's starting—you're you're seeing it at all levels that mm -hmm. we've, we're, we're not as attractive a profession as we once were. And— we can fix that. And we need more people in the industry because those are the people that we're going to hire. Those are the people we're going to sell to. You know, if if you, sadly, if we let it be controlled by a small number, the big firms are going to scalp up all the talent. That's true. So true. Anyhow, so you've heard the tease for next podcast, <laughs> and we'll talk yeah. more about it and give you some tips on how to do it because I really think it's probably a bigger challenge for us than just knowing how to do an ERC claim. Yes. Yes. Change is hard. It's hard, but it's not all bad. It's a lot of times right. it's good. Yeah. What else? What else we need to talk That's about? That's it. We're done. That's it. That's we all I've got today. For, we made another. We are done. Yeah. <laughs> we finished yep. another podcast. It's time for me to go home. Tax season's over. My day is done. Yes. Hopefully all of you are listening to this with your earbuds in as you or sitting on a lounge chair staring at the ocean or a pool or something like that because yeah. I know you worked hard and you're very deserving of some time off. But, you know, let's uh, let's keep doing a good job for our clients, and but let's not do it at our expense. Anything else, Annie? Are we done for the day? That's it, Roger. We're done. Thank you so much, Annie. And uh, look, thanks to all of you for listening. We hope you enjoy these podcasts. We hope you'll yeah. Tell your friends and, and get them to continue so we can continue doing these things. We'll try to, if you have any topics you'd like us to address, let us know. We'll try to cover. We're going to try to keep it conversational and varied and, and move around to different things that hopefully are of interest to you. But thank you for listening. Annie, as always, thank you for all your effort. You're Annie welcome. puts all this stuff together and she just winds me up and she, tells me what time to be here. So she gets all the credit. Well, so thanks to Annie. Thanks my for pleasure, listening. My pleasure. And, uh, We'll see you in a few weeks. Sounds good. Take care. Bye.
All content from this podcast by Small Biz Pros Incorporated, DBA Paget Business Services, is intended for informational purposes only.